we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done By Law, 6pm Tuesdays. Welcome to Done By Law on 3CR 855am and also welcome to those listening via various podcast (laughs) platforms or via streaming on 3cr.org.au. Your hosts tonight are Indra and Sue. It's just after 6pm on Tuesday, December 7th, 2021, but you're listening to content that was pre-recorded on Sunday the 5th of November. We start by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the original and rightful custodians of the land that 3CR broadcasts from. We also acknowledge the First Nations custodians of the various lands all of us in this program are joining from. We pay respects to elders past and present. We acknowledge this land was stolen, never ceded, always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Thanks, Indra. So tonight, we're talking about bail laws in the criminal justice system and how these connect to social inequities, especially in relation to gender. Do you remember, everyone remembers the public outcry in recent times about violent men out on bail committing more violent crimes while they're out on bail and the government's response um, was basically, or part of it was introducing tougher bail laws. But the question we're dealing with tonight is, has, has this tough approach created the right effect or has something else been happening instead or something else been happening in conjunction with it? And tonight we're focused on the increasing percentage of women, especially First Nations women, being placed in custody as a consequence and how this phenomenon might be connected to the toughening of bail laws. To help us tease out these issues, we're joined by a special guest, Emma Russell. Emma is an academic who has researched and written about this phenomenon with two others, Bree Carlton from Deakin University and Danielle Tyson from Deakin University. And, and their article is called, It's a Gender Issue, 100%, How Tough Bail Laws Entrench Gender and racial inequality and social disadvantage. And Emma is from La Trobe University. Welcome, Emma. Thanks, Sue. Thanks for having me. So, Emma, the title of your article includes a quote. So, um, it's a gendered issue, 100%. Would you be able to kind of give us a little bit of background as to um, that quote and its meaning in the setting of your, your research? Sure. So the research that we set out to do was um, with Fitzroy Legal Service, actually. So I want to name the important role that they played in the research. Um, So we went out to look at how bail and remand practices were driving up women's remand rates in Victoria. Um, And one of the main things we found was that Um, Victoria's toughened bail laws were impacting marginalised people across the board. So not just women, um, men were also being impacted too and um, surely gender diverse people as well. Um, But what was 
unique or kept coming up about um, the specific kind of issues that women were encountering in the bail and remand system is that all too often women were experiencing both violence from intimate partners or family members and violence from the state in the forms of discriminatory policing or racial profiling um, or you know the myriad violences that come from being arrested and put in custody so that specific quote um, was talking about how um, remand and how um, toughened bail laws are driving up the use of remand in Victoria um, are really linked for women to gender-based violence. So if um, marginalised women in particular, so Aboriginal women um, definitely, but also women with disability, women living in poverty or women from um, non-English speaking backgrounds, um, if they were experiencing domestic and family violence that really compounded um, their criminalisation or made it a lot harder for them to escape the kind of clutches of the criminal legal system once they've come under its radar as an offender. Right. So that was actually a quote from one of the lawyers you interviewed, is that right? Yeah, I can. Um, I brought up the quote actually. So um, basically um, one of the lawyers that we interviewed um, was talking about how women experiencing domestic and family violence are often really cut off from other support systems that might have enabled them to obtain bail um, and avoid being remanded into custody. So the quote in full reads that one of the first factors that characterizes an abusive relationship is isolation from one's family. So when women finally get to this point where they've been remanded, oftentimes it's because they've been in that family violence relationship. They're completely isolated from alternative family members that can come and give them support it's pretty easy to see the connection between family violence and women not being able to get bail. It's a gendered issue 100%. Right. That's just made me wonder if there was... Um, did you do this research before COVID? And yeah, there's yeah, a, an impact, a COVID impact as well that kind of exaggerates this or something. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, I don't have much expertise in that, but my general understanding is, is that... Um, yeah, COVID restrictions have driven up family violence experiences, yeah, and increased isolation, yeah. Mm. One of the interesting things that I noted in the article um, was kind of this, I thought it was really interesting that you highlighted this sort of unprecedented growth in Australia's remand population, um, which I think it to quote it far outpaces those of similar jurisdictions and you mentioned um england wales and canada um and that seems quite extreme that australia has kind of taken such a tough approach um and i was wondering if you could explain sort of how they came to take take up this tough approach and perhaps maybe why sort of they didn't predict the the impact that it's having on on women specifically yeah so one third of people now in australia who are in prison on any one given day will be on remand um so and then the sheer number of people on remand in australia 
has tripled in the past two decades um, as a proportion of Australia's prison population. So um, it's really grown quite exponentially in a short amount of time. And, um, and that doesn't at all factor in the numbers of people that are flowing through because often remandees are in for short periods of time or will go in for multiple periods of remand. So um, by far the majority of people entering prison in Australia will, will be unsentenced when they enter um, and many of them unconvicted as well. So um, yeah, basically the, the big growth in Australia's remand populations has been attributed to a kind of hyperactivity in law reform around bail. So there's been numerous, numerous um, changes to bail laws and policies um, in Australian jurisdictions um, over the past decade or two as the remand numbers have increased. And unfortunately, the kind of cumulative impact of all of these small, some of them quite small, kind of fiddly little changes, but the cumulative impact overall has been to pretty steadily um, restrict access to bail, um, which has, you know, all kinds of terrible consequences as, as this kind of builds up with most perhaps most importantly, this kind of erosion of the presumption of innocence, which um, access to bail is um, kind of exemplifies. Um, but also that punishment is kind of being expanded far beyond its traditional realm of kind of a post-conviction sanction that's kind of measured where remand is quite unpredictable. Um, and anyway, there's yeah a lot of terrible things that come from high remand numbers, but um, to get back to why, I guess probably one of the biggest reasons has been the growth of kind of risk mentalities in the criminal justice system more broadly. So a um, move towards uh, risk prediction and risk management rather than um, simply responding after the fact, trying to predict, okay, what are some potential um, risks or problems or outcomes that might occur in the future? And how do we implement um, measures now to prevent that from happening? Um, so traditionally bail was a very kind of basic procedural mechanism after someone was arrested and accused of a crime. Um, and it was just basically to make sure that um, someone would rock up to their trial or to their hearing in future. Um, but the kind of recent trend in bail law reform and policy in Australia has been to reimagine it as a kind of crime prevention tool. So how can we use bail conditions um, and remand as a way of preventing further crimes from happening, which was never what bail was intended to do um, in the past. Um, and then some of those bigger changes to bail systems, particularly in Victoria and New South Wales, um, have come after some really high profile, horrific instances of, of violence. So in Victoria, particularly the Burke Street Mall attack, um, where you know a number of people died um, and then, yeah, a, a, a different, but I guess similar horrific crime in um, Sydney with the Lint Cafe siege a few years earlier. So 
um, you know, when those uh, crimes are in the public consciousness and politicians need to be seen to re react quickly and, and be seen to take it seriously, um, yeah, reforms can be implemented that uh, actually have these systemic effects that capture, you know, huge numbers of people who, um, you know, are involved in the like kinds of behaviours that nowhere near kind of compare to these horrific, really unpredictable instances um, of mass violence. Yeah, that's really interesting. Just to clarify for our listeners who may or not be clear. So on remand means that you're held in custody, but you actually haven't been found guilty of anything yet. You just... Um, you know, there's an idea that you've been denied bail because somehow it's just too risky to send you back out into the into the world um, and you're going to be held. And in the past, that has been for um, it's almost like a last resort, but it doesn't seem like that anymore. And I'm really interested then in how, you know, um, second part of the question that um, Indra was asking before, how, how come, you know, the bail laws get toughened for these guys doing this stuff because generally that's where that comes from. And yet women get captured in this. So how, how does that happen? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, like it comes back to um, toughened bail laws are affecting a whole range of people, not just women, but um, because of the ways in which um access to bail has been really restricted um, and the system's really been toughened up. And so, you know, Victoria now regards itself as having the most onerous bail system in Australia. It's not just um, that people will uh, be remanded because they're seen as too risky and as, um, you know, more likely to re-offend if they're out on bail after being accused of a crime. It's also, we found in our research, people are being remanded for a whole range of reasons which aren't necessarily connected to their alleged offending. So particularly in um, the case of women, we saw that and heard from many lawyers that um, a lot of women are being remanded because their, their housing is insecure or they're homeless. So um, a magistrate will... We heard again and again and saw in many instances in the bail and remand court that um, a magistrate will not grant bail to someone if there is not an address to bail them to. So even though that's not a formal requirement in the Bail Act that someone has to have a residential address to be bailed to, a magistrate is not going to bail a woman back to the streets when you know, they know that there's all these risks that come with being a woman um, that's visibly homeless, you know. So um, a woman who's been accused of, of a crime might be remanded simply because there's nowhere else for her to go. Um, we also heard that... Um, wow, you know, that's a bit... It's almost... Um, my head's going like... Jails have almost become like a, a home in a way... Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like the. I think That's the president. Weird. It's serving all these different kinds of functions mm. because you know we also heard that the prisons have become the biggest mental health providers 
you know so for people and women who were experiencing severe mental health distress um you know often magistrates yeah won't want to bail them because they're they're seen as too unwell and you know the problem is that um mental health services are so underfunded that um a magistrate can uh you know, bail someone and say, you know, you have to access these services or you need to go to the hospital and see if they'll admit you to the psychiatric ward. But there's no guarantee. So um, we heard that, you know, magistrates have been burned in the past by, um, you know, bailing someone and um, asking them or telling them that they have to engage with these services that simply won't take them on because they're overwhelmed with demand. Whereas the prison is the one place that the magistrate knows, okay, if I send you there, you're definitely going to go there and you're going to be contained, um, you know, in a cell, obviously. But um, but not yeah. get the support that is, not get the safe place or the support that's clearly needed in those situations. It's also um, like tragically kind of ironic in the sense that, you know, a lot of that like prison space is incredibly like re re-traumatizing and is also adding to the harm that you know has has already sort of occurred um particularly with like mental health and you know I guess I mean I don't know what your thoughts are on that but that seems you know particularly horrendous that they're relying on on a system that's already causing harm to solve harm <laughs> Yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, yeah, incredibly counterproductive, yeah, yeah, in the long term. And I think that's the thing, um, you know, as as the bail laws have got tougher and kind of the hurdles you have to jump over in order to be granted bail get harder at the same time as the kind of social support systems and networks contract and have less capacity, um, you know, the prison kind of come, becomes this stopgap kind of short-term solution which is just going to create all these much more dire kind of longer-term social and economic um, consequences you know mm. wow that the the irony there about the notions of risk and you know the idea that bail is there to prevent risk to society actually doesn't make any sense in this context like the tougher it is that it just doesn't have that same impact that your research is showing so how your article also talks about i'm, I'm conscious that we're running out of time <laughs> so how your article talks about how bail laws and remand are connected to things like homelessness domestic and family violence misidentification of women as primary aggressors and the criminalization of women. So tell us a little bit about the misidentification of women as primary aggressors and bail. Yeah, so I guess a couple of things came up in the research. Um, like one, like misidentification, a lot of lawyers said was a huge issue. Um, and, you know, I think one of the ways that it seems to happen is um, if if a woman is responding or anyone is responding to um, a family violence incident in a way that's um, really heightened in terms of their emotions um, and it might be a kind of trauma response, then that 
um, particularly when it's women displaying these kind of heightened emotional responses that can really work against some women when police arrive. So um, the, the person who's able to be really calm and really rational and explain very calmly to the police, you know, here's what happened, whether or not that's true, um, can often be then on the right side of police. Whereas, um, yeah, we heard, you know, again and again, um, that lawyers had clients who were reacting, yeah, really intensely, really radically um, when police arrive and then that works against them and police um, won't see her account of the events as being credible. Um, yeah. I imagine that would also be a huge issue for, for whom English is their second language. That would also be an issue... Is that something yeah. you found as well? Yeah, we did hear that um, from some lawyers that for women whose um, visa status is precarious and might be reliant on a partner, that puts them in a really vulnerable situation. Um, but yeah, also having um, language barriers to communicate with police that can really disadvantage um, a woman's capacity to kind of establish um, her version of the events and um, you know, be seen as a, a kind of credible victim. And that was, um, yeah, like, I think the thing with um, the misidentification kind of framework for understanding how women end up criminalised or on remand when they've been the victim of family violence, it captures kind of one aspect of how that happens. But we also encountered um, kind of a range of other ways in which um, a woman who's might have called police to come and respond to a domestic and family violence incident can then still end up on remand. And that might not be because they've been misidentified, but it might be because they've got an outstanding warrant for another matter that's not related to the family violence. Or, um, you know, the police might find some drugs in the house and that might get pinned on the woman. So, um for a lot of women who are already in contact with the police um, and then establishing themselves as a victim in the eyes of police when they've already been seen as a kind of troublemaker or they've got a criminal record can be really difficult. Um, yeah. Yeah, you've really, you know, highlighted just how vast, I guess, the the harm of, of these sort of reforms, um, you know, the way they impact the, the community at large and women in particular. Um, and it's really, really concerning to hear that that's occurring in such a, so many, on so many different levels. Um, and I guess just briefly, um, what are your thoughts about how, potentially moving forward these these issues can be confronted like are you do you think that it's sort of legislative change that needs to occur um education within the system that needs to occur or yeah what are your thoughts on on moving forward yeah i think education can, can only go so far and um definitely law reform is needed i think yeah the the kind of tough 
measures that have been put in place around bail, um, it's inevitable that remand rates will stay high. Like there's, it's, it makes it almost impossible for some people to escape remand. Um, and so, um, yeah, you know, magistrates and police can be better educated, but they're still working within those constraints of a really punitive, restrictive system that's been developed around bail over the past couple of decades. Um, but I think also it's like bleedingly obvious that there needs to be far more investment in social services, um, particularly housing for women, um, because yeah, as, as we found, some women are going to prison basically just because they're homeless and that, you know, that's unacceptable. Um, but also, you know, more funding for mental health support services and um, drug and alcohol services, um, those kind of, that kind of holistic model of, of supporting people um, so that, you know, the criminal justice system or the prison isn't Seen, isn't the only place available for people that are struggling. So yeah, a kind of dual approach, I think, winding back laws as much as possible and also then elevating in their place the social support systems that will have much better long-term outcomes for individuals and society. Yeah, the much more nuanced um, approach to the idea of risk and bail and to what you're saying, I think. Unfortunately, we've run out of time, which is usually what happens. We get, we get talking so much that, about these interesting um, things and we run out of time, but uh, we have to go. So Emma, thank you for sharing your time and insights with us. And thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. You've been listening to Done By Law on 3CR 855 AM streamed at 3cr.org.au and available on various podcast platforms. And Done By Law will be back again next Tuesday at 6pm. Stay tuned now for the voices of West Papua. Fitzroy Legal Service has launched a free information and advice phone service for people who have been stopped, questioned, fined or charged for breaching the new COVID-19 restrictions. Have you been fined or charged under the new laws or stopped and questioned by police for being outside? Call 0434 136 501. Weekdays between 9am and 5pm. That's 0434 136 501. Or head to fitzroy-legal.org.au for more information. You can also report incidents at covidpolicing.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service is a 3CR supporter.